The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. everybody to another episode of benched with bubba episode 265 we're talking some more baseball movies uh ranking six through ten last week we did 11 through 15 in order to break them all down with me once again you can find them on twitter at ben j palmer ben how you doing man i'm doing all right tomorrow was supposed to be opening day so i'm a little yeah. sad or today depending on when you're listening to this or yesterday or last week i don't know i don't know when you're gonna listen to this <laughs> But yeah. uh yeah, I know. Tomorrow is supposed to be opening day and then it's not. <laughs> yeah, it, it sucks. Like I've been trying to be like one of the optimistic ones out there, but I'm also a realist and it's not looking good. I'm just gonna yeah. say it's not looking good at all. Man, but, I know. It's, it's like uh, it's real tough. It sucks, man. Everything sucks. I've been quarantined. You know what's funny is I realized this today. I've been quarantined in my house. I have not left my house for the past I want to say four days and I just realized it like it <laughs> like That's impressive. I just I was I was this evening I was like oh I haven't been outside in the past four days and that's <laughs> kind of when you know that that hasn't really affected your life all that much <laughs> yeah yeah you're like oh wait a minute I guess this, uh, oh. this, this is uh, yeah okay <laughs> yeah, I guess this is this is different <laughs> yes this is the new normal as they say uh so yeah, man. yeah it's, 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 it's a nuts. weird deal I still have to leave every day and go to work uh, for a bit, but uh, yeah, when I come home. Oh, for real? Yeah, I work in agriculture. So, oh, so you're essential. Yeah, we keep making food, so that's just yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. But it's a lot quieter out there, a lot fewer uh, interactions. Let's just put it that way. And my offices are pretty much my offices are pretty much closed. It's kind of a work out of my vehicle operation. Yeah, especially especially in California, I would imagine there's nobody out doing anything. 
Well, it's hit and miss. And that's the that's the problem, and uh, that's the problem you see around the country. It's like no one's doing this all together. It seems like, and it's making it very complicated. That's just how it is in California. Each each it's like a county by county basis. It seems like it's about almost halfway installed now, maybe a little more. It's like the big cities are really like L.A. and San Francisco are they're hardcore lockdowns, but the rest oh, yeah. of them. The rest of them, you know, last Saturday I had to go to the store and the park to let people out. I'm doing stuff. So it's a little frustrating. Hmm. Yeah, that is that is frustrating. Yeah. So, But that's not what everyone's here to listen to. We're, they're here to, <laughs> uh, to listen to uh, talk about some baseball movies. Again, we did up uh, 11 through 15 last time. It's a lot of fun. And like I said, I love talking with Ben about these because, A, he loves baseball. B, he loves movies. And C, he watches movies that I've never even heard of. And it's really cool. And the, we're going to have some more of them on this one and I have like my little two cent brain where I watch like a league a little big league and rookie of the year and stuff <laughs> like that. So it's like it's a good mix and match of a little bit of everything out there. Um but let's just kick it off. Who's your number ten, Ben? My number ten is another documentary uh about a a league and a team that I knew nothing about coming into this and I it, it was a wild story. It's the battered bastards of baseball. The Battered Bastards of Baseball, it's on Netflix if you want to watch it. Um, It is about the Portland Mavericks, which uh, were a team that was formed by Bing Russell, who is the father of Kurt Russell. And uh, Bing Russell, um, for those who don't know, was a a well-known actor on his own. Um, Portland, Oregon, uh, in the 70s, lost their minor league affiliate. And Bing Russell, who loved baseball and was pretty well known for being on Bonanza uh, and played a little bit of minor league baseball himself, decided to create his own baseball team, basically, outside of Major League Baseball. And it's crazy. It's, It's crazy to hear about who Bing Russell was. He was just this super charismatic uh, guy who just decided, you know what, I'm going to create my own team, and you know what, we're just going to do it. And it, it's like it's the movie is like a real life field of dreams. He just built this independent team of all these misfits from uh, major, some from Major League Baseball. They had had a they had a left handed catcher, which you know is weird, and they also had um, Jim Bouton, who was a former Yankees pitcher who was totally blackballed from Major League Baseball. And he just kind of created his own league, which is, it's just wild. And the whole team, the whole team that he put together is just filled with all these crazy characters. It's just a lot of fun. It just seems like, honestly, that this was a team and a league that was created just because, out of pure love of baseball. And they were just a bunch of like misfits having fun. And it was, it was really cool. I had never heard the story. Um, but it was, uh, it's a, it's a well done documentary, pretty straightforward sports documentary. Um, but like I said, in the last podcast, you know, even straightforward interview based documentaries can be really interesting if the Mm -hmm. story is interesting and the story is really, really interesting. If you've never heard of the Portland Mavericks, you should totally check this out. It is a, a fascinating documentary. I have to check this out. I'm, I'm so intrigued by this because it's, uh, it's kind of stuff we talked about last time, at least kind of in vain of my little big league thoughts of when you're young and you can, you know, manage a team and run a team. Now, Bing Russell just uses basically his money and his tout to start his own league 
Like these are just mm-hmm. things like we play fantasy baseball to run our own teams in a league. Like this is what we do. <laughs> he just did yeah. it in real yeah, life. Yeah. He yeah, he he literally <laughs> created they so the Portland Mavericks actually operated from nineteen seventy three to nineteen seventy seven. Awesome. Um so yeah, they were it was they were the originally the only independent club and then some other um independent teams started forming around the country. But yeah, it's uh it's a it's a fun uh documentary and a and a fun story and uh kurt kurt russell does pop up in it real quick he talks about he, he actually was as a as a kid and as a teenager um or not a teenager i'm sorry he actually played that's right he was i forgot when he was born he actually played a uh, ball for the mavericks for one year kurt russell did uh their very first year he played uh for them but he was he was involved with the team a bit but yeah it's a cool story it's a fun story Oh, that's awesome. I'm just going to add that to my list of uh, movies that Ben has seen that I haven't. That sound just great, great to watch. Super so. easy to watch. It's on Netflix. If you're quarantined and looking for something to do, it's on there. That sounds outstanding. Uh, my number 10 is I'll give a brief talk on it, and then we can either talk about it now or later deeper because I know it's on your list coming up here. But my number 10 is 61. Um, oh, good choice. I love that. I love this movie because – like I said last podcast, like 11 through 15, for the most part, it's like my nostalgia, like kids stuff. Now we're going to, outside of, you know, the Sandlot eventually, a lot of these are going to be more, these are baseball movies that hit home either because of the realistic nature of it, the history of it, something along those lines. And 61 does that. Um, I remember I, I'm not a big book reader. And I, especially as a kid, I was not a big book reader. And I read the summer of 61. Uh, I just love everything about this. Uh, I don't know if it was because of the, the home run barrage when we were younger with, you know, Bonds and Sosa and all them. That's when you started learning about Roger Maris more if you didn't already know about Roger Maris. But just this movie was awesome because it showcased how, like, if you didn't want to read a book, it showed how quiet and just subtle of a guy Roger Maris was. It showed the flamboyance and just nature of Mickey Mantle and then the Yankees in the early 60s and how crazy that summer was when, you know, Maris is going for the record, which is to break Babe Ruth's record. Another Yankee, obviously, who just showed this whole dynamic of it and gave a a pretty good history lesson, but also gave a kind of the Hollywood like uh, cinematography of it as well. So it wasn't just you know, it wasn't pure documentary for those that don't like documentaries, which I do. So I like that's why you picked some of those out. But it, it gave you a little bit of both, and it wasn't like corny like the Babe. It wasn't something like that. This is actually a good movie. Billy Crystal, who's a diehard baseball fan, I think he did it pretty good justice to it. Also, oh, uh, yeah. as the director, like he, you could tell he loved this. He's a Yankees fan. He's a baseball fan, and you could see it kind of portrayed out in the way the movie was made. So I absolutely love Sixty One. It's a great yeah. history movie, but it's also a great baseball movie, and that's why I love it. So that's my number ten. Yeah, it's uh, we can yeah we can talk about it now because I I've got it at number seven. Got a little bit higher than you, but Perfect. I. I I liked it a lot. I had never heard of the movie um, before I I started creating probably about a, a little over a year ago. I started creating a list of every baseball movie I could find to watch for this article, and I came across sixty one, and I had never heard of it. It was it came out in two thousand one. It was a HBO movie before we really cared about HBO movies, and. It was really well done. Like, like you said, you can tell Billy Crystal really cared about this movie. He really cared about doing it right and making it look authentic. And I loved that. I, I 
I knew about Roger Maris. Obviously, I knew who Mickey mm-hmm. Mantle was. I didn't know a whole lot about their home run race, but uh, this was a really cool look into it. It was a really, really interesting character study of Mantle and Maris because they were both such different people. Mm-hmm. And and huge credit to Barry Pepper, who plays Maris, who I think is a heavily underrated actor. Big time. Painfully underrated. underrated actor. But major credit to him and Thomas Jane, who plays Mantle. They both do a fantastic job. Uh, Barry Pepper especially is so good. He's he's really able to play this version of Maris who is uh, very self-doubting and quiet and just kind of thrown into the spotlight that he didn't really know how to handle. Uh, and he also, honestly, if you look at pictures of Barry Pepper and Roger Maris, they look a lot alike. Yeah. It's crazy. Insanely good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just... I love the way it was filmed. the The color is beautiful. The art direction, uh, it's a really, really well made and just criminally underrated movie. Period. And I think the reason it's underrated is because it was an HBO movie in two thousand one, and we kind of, you know, I, I think it just didn't get the publicity it deserved. Uh, I will say, just forewarning to those who haven't seen it, it does kind of frame the film around Mark McGuire breaking. Maris's home run record, which you know in two thousand one was cool, uh, now has kind of lost its luster a little bit. <laughs> but still, it's it's a really really good movie. It's it's excellent. And I'm glad they made it when they did because yeah, sure they use uh, they use the McGuire thing to kind of frame it in the moment, but it led a lot of people because like yeah, you and I that are baseball fans, we knew Maris Mantle the whole shebang but a lot of people probably had no idea why mcguire like, like maris's family was following mcguire around yeah. stadiums besides that he had a record like they didn't realize outside of that one year that was like the mecca of what he did he had some he was a good ball player but he really it was always the mickey mantle show and the fact that he showed up and, and did that was, was quite the accomplishment and i think he needed a little more notoriety uh behind it all so it was very good they did it because it's one of those you know, if we talk about, because, you know, now there's McGuire, then there's Bonds, and if you want it, that's a whole other podcast on what you believe in that situation. But, um, right, right. Not, not, not many people are going to know who, you know, people 20 years from now aren't even going to know who Robert Mar- Roger Maris is. So, yeah. It, well, you know, it's it, it so funny. You look at, you look at Maris's, uh, career, and like he had a great, so 1960, the year before the record breaking season, really, really good year. But then 61, when he hit 61 home runs, he hit 269, had 132 runs at 142 RBI. That's insane. Nuts. And a short season. Look at the number of games. Well, he played 161 games. Oh, I'm season. thinking of something else. Never mind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But um, but after that, he was like solid. The next year, he hit 256 with 33 home runs, 100 RBI. That's solid. It's good. But just kind of trailed off after that. But that one year in 61, man, 132 runs, 142 RBI. That's that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I recommend if anybody does like to read books, read the Summer of 60, uh, 61, I believe is what it's called. And it's it's really cool. It gives an even deeper look to what the movie basically did. So I would highly recommend it for me that's bored and likes to read. i check it out. <laughs> but um, all right, your number nine, this one, you went to the Wayback Machine. So I, I, I'll, I'll flat out say, never seen it. Never even heard of it. So uh, in Oh, yeah, case, you never. This was an, So this was another one when I was looking for uh baseball movies i came across it so my number nine movie is fear strikes out 
which came out in 1957. When I was uh, looking for movies, I heard about this. Uh, I, I found it in some lists, and I saw Anthony Perkins was a star in it. Carl Malden's in it, too, who's very good. And I love Anthony Perkins. I think he's a phenomenal actor. So I was like, all right, cool. Let's see. Let's see what this is about. And it was really, really good. Uh, it's about Jim Pearsall, who um, was a, a real ball player. Mm-hmm. who struggled a lot with uh, mental health issues. And I had never heard of him before this movie, to be honest. But he actually had uh, a pretty great career. He had two all-star appearances, two gold gloves, and finished top 10 for the MVP once. But he just... This movie is mostly about Pearsall's, uh struggles with his mental health and his upbringing, his entrance into the MLB, uh, his relationship with his father, who was very emotionally withholding. And uh, the movie kind of, the movie kind of blames his father for his mental health issues a little more than I think it should. But Overall, it's it's really well done. Anthony Perkins is fantastic. This is really early in his career. This is pre-psycho. So you just you see him and all all you need to do, it's all in his face. It, every great actor knows that your eyes are what show the most emotion. And if you look at Anthony Perkins's face throughout this, that that's all you need to see. You look in his eyes, you just see you see all the conflict, the irrational rage he feels during his outbursts in the movie, the emotional turmoil going on inside of him. It's, it's all there all in Perkins's face. He just does a really, really good job. This is, it is a baseball movie, but in all honesty, it's more a drama about a son who desperately wants his father's approval and love and never actually gets it and happens to be contextualized around baseball more than it is a baseball specific movie, but it's, it's really well done. It's, you see, uh, his Pearsall's total mental breakdown, uh, his admittance into a mental hospital, all of that. And it's, it's crazy. It's, it's especially impressive when you, when you find out how well Pearsall's career went, later but uh he just yeah it's it's really cool it's a movie i'd never heard of before and i was really impressed with it that's interesting i pulled up his baseball reference page he played from 50 to 67 quite the career yep he played for like six or seven different teams um obviously the last five or six years he didn't play over 100 games but prior to that at least 100 or more he was a very good bat like average asset if we want to talk about it in those aspects of it Decent power for those that era. So interesting little yep. ballpark. Like you said, he uh, a couple all-stars, a couple MVP votes, gold gloves. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Very, yeah, very he, interesting. Um, yeah, and he, he struggled with um, bipolar disorder. Um, and, and actually, so Fear Strikes Out, the movie, is based off of a book called Fear yeah. Strikes Out, um, which I believe Pearsall wrote. Um, but, yeah, he, he, he would get into – Pearsall would get into fights – with uh teammates in in 52 early on 
He got into a fist fight with Billy Martin, one of the uh, infielders on the Yankees, and then got in a fight with Mickey McDermott, uh, or one of the, yeah, one of the, Billy Martin on the Yankees, Pearsall was on the Red Sox. Then he got into a fight with Mickey McDermott, who was on the Red Sox with him in the clubhouse. Uh, he he got in trouble for, I'm, I laugh just because it's, it's wild, but it's actually not funny. He got into trouble for spanking one of his teammates, four-year-old sons, which oh is my. just, yeah. I mean, he just, he, he had a lot of mental health issues and mm-hmm. he would do kind of like wild, crazy things. He, one time he, um <laughs> he came up to bat wearing a Beatles wig and was playing air guitar on his bat. Just, just like he kind of leaned into it later in his career. He just was kind of like a goofy guy. Um, He, he would lead cheers for himself. He, um, (laughs) he would uh, at Yankee stadium, he would talk to the Babe Ruth monument in center field, like have a, a pretend conversation with it. He just was, was, he was a unique, unique individual. But what, one of the things I really do love about the movie uh, is that it it does a pretty good job of tackling mental illness. It, it has a very sympathetic view towards mental illness, which is pretty impressive for 1957. I was about to say, for 1957, yeah. that's like huge back then, because that's right, kind of one right. of those things they kind of mask or something like that. That's, that's Oh, big. yeah, yeah. Well, they, they could have easily just dismissed Pierce. Oh, he's crazy. He's just yeah. a crazy guy. And they could have easily, easily done that. And in 1957... You know, you probably wouldn't have blamed them. Uh, you know, obviously it's wrong, but at the same time, it's like, well, they they didn't really know. But to have this this sympathetic view towards mental illness was pretty impressive for a movie made in the late fifties. So it's good. It's, it's pretty it's cra- worth it's worth watching. It's pretty crazy. Made in nineteen fifty seven. We talked about his career. That was only like a seventh season. He still had ten more years after that. Yeah. So that was only yeah. during the yeah. time in Boston. To make a movie and the guy still played ten more years of baseball is pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a fascinating movie, and Jimmy Pearsall is a really interesting guy. So I would strongly recommend looking into Pearsall and and checking out the movie. Interesting. Very very interesting. I'll have to put that one on my list as well. My number and that nine, one that one is streaming yeah. actually as well somewhere. I can I can find out pretty quickly I heard if I remember correctly. is a good place to check. Yes. Oh my gosh, just watch is the <laughs> most fantastic place. I still had it on my notes from last episode right here. <laughs> yeah, man, I am like a fierce proponent of that website. I was, I believe, actually, I think it was on Amazon Prime. I'm almost certain that Fear Strikes Out was on. Nope, it's on Pluto. It's on Pluto TV. Yeah, Pluto TV is this. Um, I've. It's all right. It's it's this free kind of quote unquote cable service. It's just an app where you can look up movies and watch them, and it has ads. So you, you have to deal with ads, but yeah. um, it is available for free on Pluto. So there's that. Or you can buy it. it whatever you want to do. Or buy it. Yeah. Um, my number nine. I thought I was done with my kids' movies, but I, I'm not. This is a little more of an adult kids' movie, if that makes sense. <laughs> And this is the 1976, not the newer one, the 1976 version of the Bad News Bears. Um, ah, I absolutely, was, okay. I love the Bad News Bears. And I, I didn't include of, the Bad News Bears in my article, but I have some thoughts on it, so I'll be interested okay, to hear what you say. I'm looking forward to that because, and, and and it's it's tough because I'm only going to say the first one because the the 
the ones that come after it, I don't want to call them sequels, even though they are, but they're kind of all their different spinoffs of it. They're good in their own rights and they're bad in their own rights, kind of like Major League. But to, to me, I want to start with the one that started the whole thing and the Bad News Bears. And Walter Matthau, to me, um, I thought was absolutely outstanding. I understand it's a, it's a weird dynamic to have this kind of, you know, former ball player. He's, he's, an out, he's a drunk that doesn't want to be there. It's basically like the Mighty Ducks meets baseball for you like the Mighty Ducks, but this was made in 1976. But it's really fun because it's just this misfit group of ball players. Like if you like the little rascals, basically the little rascals found baseball. And that's what these guys are. You have, you know, the shortstop that can, you know, just wants to swear at everybody and get in fights. You have Kelly Leak riding in on his motorcycle and just like the baddest player in baseball. Pretty much anybody that's played Little League before it gets, you know, you know, maybe before AAA or the majors, before like the nine, ten year old level, the early on stuff where kind of everybody's parents makes them play. It's like kids are out there that don't really want to be there, and that's kind of what this is. And then all of a sudden, Walter Matthau gets them playing well. He has to find them a sponsor, and it's Chico's Bail Bonds, for crying out loud. Like, there's a Little League team with the back of their jersey says Chico's Bail Bonds. Like, that's just funny to me <laughs> because that's just – that's something you wouldn't be able to make these days. You just couldn't make that kind of stuff. Um, but I love it because it shows the kids uh, a new way to like, to like baseball. It changes Walter Matthau into – a better uh, human being. He becomes more like, you know, cleaned up and appreciates the kids. They kind of feed off each other and uh, they, they fight together to win. Basically, if you really want to get to the brass tacks of it, we're going to talk about it this week and next week. It's the kids version of major league. That's what this is. They put a bunch of ragtag okay. kids together. They brought in this coach and they made this bad team, a contender and, and a champion. I, I absolutely love it because the kids are fun. You can believe it. If you played on some, uh, not like, for me, I think the other reason why I loved it when I played Little League, my teams never won anything until I made until All Stars. Like my my seasonal stuff, I never won a trophy ever. And my dad was our manager, and he 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 always we make fun of him because my brother's teams would win all the time, and he didn't manage them. So um, we it was just one of those deals where it's a ragtag bunch that just had fun, and it resembled a lot of the Bad News Bears. So I love this movie from that respect. What were your thoughts on Bad News Bears? So there, I'll start with what I like about it. It is a pretty enjoyable, very heartwarming, character-driven movie. And if there's one thing the movie does really, really well, it's establishing just about every single kid on the team as a character and making you care about them. Like every single, you know, every individual player on that team and you care about them for specific reasons. And that's not easy to do from a writing perspective. It is very easy, and I've seen so many movies do it, where you have an ensemble film that's about a group of characters and the characters are just vehicles to move the plot forward. And Bad News Bears doesn't do that. And I and I appreciate that. And I also think Walter Matthau is fantastic in yeah, the movie. I, I think, think he plays his character. Good. Oh, he's so good. He plays his character so, so well. There are two problems I have with the movie. It really has not aged well at no. all. No, it has not. Not even a little bit. Um, there's a lot of kids shouting racial slurs. Oh yeah, that's why I said you could not make this movie today. <laughs> right? There's no way you can make this movie. Nor, today. nor should you have no. a movie where children are shouting racial slurs. They're drinking in the dugout with Walter. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. So there's that. There's also this really, really creepy way that they sexualize the character of Amanda 
True. She's like, she's this 13 year old girl. And throughout the whole movie, they are like very subtly sexualizing her. And it just, it weirds me out. Like it's, I don't know. There's a whole, there's a lot of comments about whether her breasts are developing in that movie. And well, it gets I'm like, worse, I think in the next one, when he kind of takes her under his wing and like goes shopping with her to get bras and stuff, I think. <sighs> yeah. I mean, like I can kind of get the whole like, oh, you know, manly drunk man, Walter Matthau having to, you know, have a surrogate daughter or shop for bras or whatever. I can kind of get that, but just, I don't know. There's just, there's yeah. this really weird kind of just uh, creepy feeling around this 13 year old girl. And it's just, I don't know. It left me with a bad taste in my mouth. I, I just, I don't know. It felt weird. It's not, it's not overt and, and nor do I necessarily think it was intentional. Mm-hmm. I don't really think it is. I think they're just kind of making jokes like, ah, she's a girl and you know, it's the seventies. Yeah, it's 1976. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the whole, you know, she's a girl and she plays baseball. Pfft, mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of the whole thing. Whatever. But it just, I don't know. It felt creepy. It just felt really, really creepy to me. And just, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, there's some aspects to it where I'm watching it today and I'm like, I, I, I can put movies in the context of the time they were made. Uh, I believe that you should do that. I don't believe you can necessarily judge a movie made in 1937 uh by the moral standards of 2020 because it just it just isn't fair you can acknowledge things that might be wrong with it you can acknowledge that you know it's probably bad or no it's not probably it's definitely bad that there's blackface in movies from the 20s mm-hmm. like that is a bad thing but it's also important i think to understand the context of when the movie was made i can do that with the bad news bears but there's just like i said there's just some parts where i'm like Ooh, i don't don't love that i don't love seeing the kids like shouting racial slurs at each other and stuff yeah, like that it's rough it's rough yeah yeah so but otherwise outside of that stuff um it is it is a nice movie and honestly it was not far it wasn't in my top 15 but it was not far outside it was at um I want to say it was like number 17 on my list or something like that. So it just, it just missed the cut. There are definitely things to like about it. There's definitely, it's not a movie I would watch with your, with your kids. No, no, not anymore. No. (laughs) And that's the crazy thing is I watched it as a kid and like in the the, the late eighties or early nineties, I watched it thinking no big deal, but how times have changed. Well, you know, what's funny is like, I I don't know. It's weird. Movies, in the 60s and 70s were i mean you had there were all kinds of controversies over ratings because of of sexual content or things like that that today were like oh really people were worried about you know midnight cowboy got an x rating because it was about a male prostitute really so there's there's that but at the same time there's like kids movies from the 70s where you're like oh no i would not show that to a child this was pg yeah, PG. Now, um, <laughs> I don't know if this was around before PG-13. True. I don't know. It's a good point. That good was, point. you know the movie that started PG-13? No. What was it? Uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which was 1984. Really? Yes. Wow. Um, Surprising. Wait, Temple of Doom's, yeah, Temple of Doom's number two. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, wow. Yeah, so so it used to be they had G, PG, R, and X. X. Okay. And um that's why Airplane is rated PG or it was. 
Oh my goodness, that should be rated right. R. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's nudity in it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, nudity, but, swearing, but, drugs, everything. Absolutely, absolutely. But at the time, it was PG, and so what happened was it was G P PG. Just meant, hey, your parents should come to this, and you know, it's up to the parents. <laughs> And R was adults only, and then X was beyond that, and um, and then the porn industry kind of co-opted the X rating, and they had to change it to NC-17. But when Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom came out, it was kind of this, like, I don't know, this is a little violent for PG, but it's not quite R. And so after that, they uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was rated PG, but after that, PG-13 came around. So, uh, so I would imagine had Bad News Bears been made post PG thirteen, it would have been rated PG thirteen. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, but one thing I want to mention one last time is you mentioned Walter Matthau and the Sutter Die. He's such a great actor, and um, I, I movies like uh, Grumpy Old Men, Grumpy Old Men, there's things where Walter Matthau was in. Like the the yeah. overall movie might be bad, but what he can do in a movie, it's just he's so funny. And know, it's so easy to him. It's crazy. Speaking speaking of movies that you should not let children watch, my grandmother for some reason thought it was okay for me to watch Grumpy Old Men when I was like <laughs> probably a bad I, idea. I swear I was like seven. I think I was seven or eight. I was over at my grandmother's house and she had these random VHSs and she was like, Ah, you want to watch a movie? I'm like, Yeah, sure. He's like, Here, take this one. It was Grumpy Old Men. And I watched it and I was like, Oh, I shouldn't be watching this. And especially like I like I said last podcast, I grew up in a very strict movie household mm-hmm. and my my grandmother just didn't know what was in it she was going to i didn't end up watching it but she handed me like the next time i was over she handed me when harry met sally oh my <laughs> that would like, have been something was, for you i was literally like I was between seven and nine years old like that <laughs> and that would have been educational like, she was like hey i got this and i i never watched i i don't remember why i didn't watch it it just like it wasn't because i was you know i was like grandma i shouldn't watch this but it was more like I just ran out of time or something. And then I told my parents, like, yeah, grandma's going to have me watch this movie when Harry met Sally. And my dad was like, oh, we should talk to grandma. <laughs> yeah, we need to let her know. It's probably a bad idea. Um, <laughs> right, exactly. Did Did you ever watch the remake of uh, Bad News Bears with Billy Bob Thornton that I thought? I have, a, just... I have a funny story about that. So okay. as I said last podcast, I grew up very religious. And when I was in... I guess that came out in 05. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I think it was yeah. 05. So I would have been 14 or 15, depending on 14, probably when that came out. Yeah, because it came out in the summer. I went on a missions trip with my grandparents' church to South Dakota. And we had a day where it was like, hey, we're going to go to the Mall of America. Um, we eventually we, we went to Minnesota at some point. We were in South Dakota for the mission trip. Ended up in Minnesota, uh, just basically to go to the Mall of America. And while we were there, everybody decided, "Hey, we're gonna go see a movie. Let's go to the movie theater." And Bad News Bears was out, the remake. So these two random people who I vaguely knew from this mission trip uh, took me and who I was fourteen and my brother who was ten uh, to go see Bad News Bears. And they start it, and Billy Bob Thornton is cursing up a storm, as you would kind of expect. And they got up and said, we are leaving. Like, 20 minutes into the movie, they said, we're out of here. We're leaving this movie. That is, to this day, the only movie I've ever walked out of. 
It's the Bad News Bears. I pulled it up. The uh, 76 was a 7.3 stars on IMDb. The Billy Bob was a 5.8, and it was PG-13. Yeah, yeah, it was PG-13. I don't know why they thought, oh, you know, it will be fine. It's just PG-13. My guess is they saw, oh, Bad News Bears. I remember when that movie came out. This will be fine for the kids and didn't look at the rating. They brought us in there, and it's like these these church people. And they're like, oh, oh, like they're clutching their pearls and like Billy Bob Thornton is saying so many bad words. And then they took us out and we instead, instead of just leaving and doing something else, we walked into a different movie. Like we didn't buy tickets. We walked in to see Sky High and we (laughs) (laughs) we started watching. Yeah, we started Sky High about 15 minutes into the movie and that's what we watched. But to this day, the only movie I've ever walked out of was Bad News Bears, the remake, and that was involuntarily. (laughs) Well, that's a story for you. All right, (laughs) enough on Bad News Bears. That was fun. Let's uh, go to your number eight. I mentioned it last episode as one that I saw on a ton of lists that I need to uh, check out because I'd never heard of it until I started researching for this, and it seems pretty darn popular. So explain to us why Sugar is your number eight. Oh, sugar is so good. Yeah, so Sugar, that was another one where I saw it on a bunch of lists, and I was like, I've never heard of this. Came out in 2008. It didn't get a, a whole ton of publicity, and I think that's the problem. Um, More than anything, this movie is a character study that's, that asks a really, really interesting question, which is what happens when you've spent your entire life pursuing playing professional baseball as your family's way out of poverty. We talked uh, last time about Pelotero, the documentary about the international scouting and how so many international players, Dominican players and all, they rely on getting signed by a major league team as their family's ticket out of poverty. They focus their whole lives on playing baseball and they're hoping to get that, you know, $5 million bonus to go play in the majors. So sugar, talks about those players in a fictional narrative and it asks when you spend your whole life trying to play professional baseball as your family's ticket out of poverty only to just end up as a very good player but not very good but not good enough minor leaguer what do you do because you're stuck in the minor you got that bonus which is great but as we all know minor leaguers don't make a whole lot and if you are a quadruple a player where you're just kind of wasting away in triple a and all you know is baseball baseball is the singular pursuit of your life what do you do um and that's what this movie talks about this the main character is a guy named miguel santos who's a really really good pitcher starts succeeding uh really well in the minor leagues starts faltering breaks down uh I would say, the film doesn't say this explicitly, but I would personally say that one of the reasons he breaks down is because he and all of the other players are basically just treated as machines. They're not they're not treated as people. They're just kind of tools that are meant to be refined. And if they can't, if they don't work out, then they're just kind of tossed aside. They're not people. They're, it's just business. They're there's an argument to be made for like, Hey, that's kind of how baseball has to work. I think Moneyball made that argument pretty decently, but that's beside the point as a result of his breakdown and his inability to get out of the minors. Uh, he 
Miguel starts losing the family he develops on his team, you know, as that's it's another aspect of the film I think that's interesting is you start developing these these friendships with guys on minor league teams and they get promoted or demoted and they're gone. And you can't you can't really build a relationship with these guys because they're they're gone and you have to build brand new relationships or maybe you get promoted and de- or demoted and there's a whole lot of fluidity to it. And so it kind of takes all of that, the singular pursuit of baseball as a, a foreign player, the way Major League Baseball treats players as assets instead of people sometimes, and the inability to kind of establish familial relationships with teams because of the fluidity of minor leagues. And it says, how does all of that affect the mental headspace of an individual player? And that's and it's a really really fascinating story. He, you start of you start seeing Santos go through this like existential crisis where he's like, should I be playing baseball? Should I even be bothering with this? If I'm not going to make it to the major leagues, I, you know, if I'm going to keep struggling, why am I bothering? Should I just? go somewhere else and do something else have i been wasting my entire life just trying to pursue this thing that i'm that i'm just not that good at or not good enough at uh so it's it's really interesting i won't give away the whole movie but it's it is a fascinating character study on miguel santos uh the person who plays santos alginas perez soto just kills it i mean does such a good job it is uh, directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who are who do a fantastic job of the direction. Um, there's there's some really nice shots. It's really well done. It is a criminally underrated movie, in my opinion. It's it's absolutely worth seeing. Uh, it's it's another one of those movies, like I said about um, Fear Strikes Out, where it is a baseball movie. It's a you know a, a drama in the context of baseball, and this is another one of those where it's a kind of existential character study in the context of baseball. Um, and, and by the way, Anna Bowden and um, Ryan Fleck later went on to direct Captain Marvel, um, so you may know them from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, it's kind of a funny story, which was around 2010 so they're they're a good writing team good directing or or they're a good directing team so yeah absolutely go see sugar it is a wonderful movie i like the concept of it it's basically like you said a a case study on we talk about minor leaguers and you know a lot of the talk about pay for minor leaguers and all these different things and and you watch how they uh even on right now with what we're going through with the with the, the virus and baseball on hold and you see um you know that um, they're raising Emily Walden's raising money for minor leaguers and all this awesome stuff because they're always going through a different kind of world than I think a lot of people think of when they just think baseball player. And so you're you're talking about kind of the way he's you know he's watching guys go up and down, what's going on in his head as he's making his way through, not making a ton of money, all these different things. It's an interesting dynamic there because like we'll talk about bull durham and other movies when you see the kind of the minor league aspect of things the the life that they live it's totally different than the bigs that we we obviously know so that's an interesting concept to kind of show the baseball side of it but uh, also the deep personal 
nature and uh, development, I guess you could say, of the actual person. So pretty cool yeah, stuff. That's, we'll definitely it's, check it's, that out. it's really cool to see that because honestly, for me at least, it was something I never really thought about. Like I, I don't you know, I when I think about the minor leagues, I think about um just because, you know, I play fantasy, I, I think about top prospects and, you know, guys who are coming up uh for teams, you know, that are gonna have a major league impact. You don't think about every single minor league team from low A, high A, double and triple A, every single team has a full team. And not yep. every single one of those players is going to the majors. Not every single one of those players is ever going to touch the majors. Yep. So it's it's kind of an interesting study of the forgotten players of minor league baseball with an added perspective of the international players. Uh, so it's it's kind of a it's both of those into one. So it's it's a fascinating movie. It's really well done. Horribly, horribly underrated. So strongly recommend seeing it. I'll have to check it out. Uh, my number eight, we don't have to talk about because we talked about it last episode is The Natural. Um, and the more you talked yes. about it, you started making me kind of double <laughs> like think, think things through. So I'm like, yeah, you got some points there. You got some more points there. Like uh, the whole Roy Hobbs aspect of playing baseball reminds me of Kurt Gibson and all that's pretty fun. But uh, and just kind of his storyline there. But then when you mention, you know, why is she a murderer and all these other things, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense for a a pretty rough movie. So mine's the natural. (laughs) We talked about it a ton. It's just the writing. It's the the it's cinematography. The way it's filmed, the acting is all excellent. It's it's actually an enjoyable movie. It's just there's a lot of suspension of disbelief that made me go like, what is happening in this movie? This is wild. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense when you said it. So, yeah, The Natural, if you guys are curious on our deep dive on that, we talked about it quite a bit on the last episode. So go check that out. Uh, your number seven, I am, we actually talked about it as well. So what is it? Yes, we did. Number seven, 61. We already kind of jumped into that. So, uh, again, like I said about Sugar, 61, terribly underrated. Go see it. It's on. That one's easy. Sugar's a little harder to see. You're going to have to buy that one probably um, or – find it somewhere else i'm not sure where you can find it honestly um 61 is on hbo i'm almost certain yes, it's got to be yeah yeah it has to be so you can de- you pretty easily see that if you've got hbo so definitely go see that all right my number seven and it, it's in your top five and i i've literally from seven on the, up i can make arguments to move all kinds of things around and i just stuck with this seven this one kills me and pains me to have here i actually had chris towers on my last episode yesterday and this is his number one baseball movie, and I can't argue that. Like, I really, wherever anybody ranks this, I get my number seven is The Sandlot. Um, oh, I, boy. I love The Sandlot. <laughs> I just have some of these other ones going a little higher. Um, I believe it's in your top five. I, I haven't, I only. Oh, no, 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 no. It is, The Sandlot is very much not in my top five. Oh, outstanding. So I very ranked. much do not like The Sandlot at, in fact, it is a running joke at Pitchalist among the staff writers when we start talking about baseball movies how that I don't like the sandlot. So oh, go ahead. You then. you do your thing yes. and, and yeah, we'll talk about it. It's gonna be fun. So what I love about it is and I I, remember, I think I've, we talked about this before, some of the things you don't like about it, which I don't disagree with. But what I do love is it's you know kids, it reminds me of uh, playing like pickup ball, like we kind of talked about some other movies. Um, it's in a weird era it's, and uh, the, the kid moves to town, doesn't have any friends. And what brings him together? Baseball. It's a beautiful game of baseball. 
Um, doesn't know who Babe Ruth is, steals his dad's baseball. Um, they play with it, obviously he loses it to the dog. The whole story is there, but you got Benny the Jet, who was a great player. Like every group of friends that played ball always had one guy that was like so much better, and you always dreamed of playing in the major someday. And then Benny, Benny the Jet's obviously there. Uh, the kid from from out of town that moves in, Smalls, he becomes the um, the broadcaster for the Dodgers. That's always fun. But the actual game, you have the clubhouse or the fort, I guess. They they, they stay overnight. You got, um, you know, uh, Wendy Peppercorn watching them at the pool. You got the catcher. You have all, all the different characters. They go deep diving into so many of them. And they're all different in their own right. And I, I absolutely loved it. It's just, you know, get done with school. Let's go play ball. Let's all save our money, recycle canes to get a to get another baseball at the drugstore. And just, you know, they, they basically lived it out. They actually played a couple games against, I guess, neighboring teams. Um, it, it was just a cool concept that I really, really liked. It's a total childhood kind of throwback to playing whenever, wherever you could go play a game of baseball. So I love the Sandlot. Again, it's my seven, though. Like I said, I've heard other people have it really high, but you don't even have it in your top 15. So why don't you tell me why no. you do not like the Sandlot? Yeah, so of all the articles I have ever written on Pitcherless, this article, my top 15 baseball movies, and also three movies I really don't like, uh, got the most interaction I've ever gotten from readers. I, it has like 30 comments, which is nuts for pretty much any picture list article. <laughs> um, it got so much hate because mostly of me saying I don't like the Sandlot. And I knew that would happen. And I have... It's kind of the the joke about me not liking the Sandlot among the pitcherless writers has kind of evolved into this weird thing where I supposedly just hate the Sandlot with every fiber of my body, and I don't. But I have a theory about it. How old were you when you saw the Sandlot? The first oh, time. let's see. It came out in '93, so yep. I was probably eleven or twelve. Exactly. So I believe. Let me contextualize this. People who grew up in the 90s, uh, who kind of came of age in the 90s and the early 2000s, millennials and later Gen X, have a strong attachment to 90s nostalgia. No doubt about and it. That's why, that's why I like those other movies last time. Like It's just absolutely. something about and, growing up with them. And I think there's a real, there's a good reason for it. If you think about it, the those of us who came of age in the 90s and the early 2000s, we experienced so much technological change mm -hmm. in such a short period of time that the technology, uh, the world of, say, 1998 feels like 40 years ago. You, you think, about, think about the telephone. How much did the telephone change between... 1960 and 1970 or 1970 and 1980. Not a ton. Yeah. You had landlines, you know, maybe party lines go away, but in general, the telephone didn't change. How much did the telephone change between 2000 and 2010? Quite a bit. It went from, it went from <laughs> a landline phone or perhaps a relatively large cell phone. Yep to a supercomputer that has access to the entire sum of human knowledge in your pocket. Yep. Like that is quite the jump. Just I mean exponential <laughs> astronomical change. 
that's just phones. That's not that's not even talking about the internet, how much computers have changed, how much listening to music has changed. Just so much changed happened between say 1990, 1995 and the late 2000s. So, it is perfectly understandable why people my age and a little bit older are so nostalgic for the 90s because it just they they have whiplash from all the change that happened and i get it i think the sandlot is part of that a little bit the sandlot is a perfectly fine kids movie yes. it's if there's one thing i like about the sandlot one thing i appreciate about it it has a lot of heart i mm. I, I genuinely think that david mickey evans loves baseball and he put his entire heart into this movie and you you get that you feel that when you watch the movie it wasn't it wasn't some studio that came together and was like what if we did the goonies but instead of treasure hunting it was baseball that's not that's not what happened what happened was david mickey evans loves baseball and he made a movie about how much he loves baseball and when you are an eight-year-old nine-year-old ten-year-old kid who loves playing baseball you connect with that movie so much, and I totally get it. I saw The Sandlot for the first time when I was 18. Yeah, it's a little different. And, okay. Yeah, and when I saw it, I saw it on a <laughs> on a bus trip to a uh, to Florida, mm-hmm. and for I was in marching band because I was um, super cool, and all the ladies <laughs> loved me. What if, what instrument did you play? I mean, it was the clarinet. <laughs> which here's the thing i played clarinet for a long time and playing clarinet in, in marching band is the most useless thing you could possibly play there is no more useless instrument in so say, all the noises out of a marching band get kind of over, they overshadow the clarinet <laughs> marching band is about the brass which is real yep. loud and powerful you can hear the saxophones a lot of times, especially yep. if they get a solo. They can get a groove going, especially like the Barry sax is real deep. You know, you're mm-hmm. playing Hang On Sloopy and the Barry sax is dude. Yeah, great. Flutes and piccolos, very marching band-like. Drumline, of course, that's like the heart of marching band. Even the pit a little bit, xylophones and stuff. Clarinet, nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. You cannot hear the clarinet. You can pantomime, and I did that sometimes. You could pantomime all of your playing clarinet. You are entirely useless. You are the appendix (laughs) of the marching band body. You can just be completely taken out and nothing bad will happen to the rest of the band. But you still have to learn all the steps. You still have to learn all the music. You have to memorize the music because God forbid you uh, have the music on your clarinet. So yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I had I remember. I love it. Sorry, love I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go on a really brief marching band tangent. I remember my senior year of high school. We got a new band director at my high school, and uh, my high school required you to be in marching band if you wanted to be in concert band. Probably because they knew that um, nobody wanted to be in marching band, and we were in. We had a new band director, and this new band director decided that. Um, the marching band, the members of the marching band needed to be more athletic. They needed to run laps and things like that. And I remember sitting down with him and saying, look, if we were more athletic, we would not be in band. 
we would be <laughs> playing sports. We would not be doing something that primarily requires you to sit still. Mm-hmm. And we are all in marching band because we have to be. We should not be running a mile before every marching band rehearsal. That's just <laughs> not what I mean. You see, it was so sad. You see these these kids, these like overweight kids who just wanted to play in band. They just they just wanted to play the tuba. And they're like <laughs> wheezing and about to pass out, circling the the tech building for the fourth time. And you're just like, why are you doing this to us? It was, oh, that's great. it was ridiculous. I it was I was never a fan of marching band. I like good marching bands, like watching them. Never a fan of participating in it. But on a marching band trip to Florida, I watched Sandlot for the first time. I was eighteen, and I had heard so much about it. I love baseball. I was like, sweet! I finally get to see this classic baseball movie. And I came away from it going, okay, like, it was fine. <laughs> I mean, it it is not a it's not a terrible movie. It's not super great i don't think it's particularly well acted um it's a little overly nostalgic about the 60s um but i understand and and i think it's okay if you like the sandlot i think it's perfectly okay it is the beauty of film the beauty of all art is that people will have a deep personal meaningful connection to different type to different forms of art for their own reasons, and that's awesome. Like if you if you saw a face off and it just changed your life, great. <laughs> I'm so happy that face off changed your life. If you think, look, Bill and Ted's bogus journey is so much better than Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, great. You're wrong, but that's fine. That's <laughs> totally fine. It, it's okay. But I just the thing that bothers me is when the Sandlot is touted as this cinematic masterpiece. Yeah, it's not. It I'll admit named, that. It, it was named by Bleacher Report as the second best sports movie of all time. Yeah, no. Ever. No. Behind <laughs> only Raging Bull. Which yeah, that's, Raging whole, that's horrible. horrible. Yeah, like, that is great. No, no, that's nuts. If you personally love Sandlot, great. If you're going to sit there and tell me, oh, no, no, like this is a better, better written, better acted, better made movie than Field of Dreams, A League of Their Own, Major League, it, stuff like that. I'm like, come on. Like, it, it just we we tend to take 90s nostalgia and we amplify it and we we take these these movies and we're like, yeah, yeah, this is the greatest thing ever. You know, this whatever this was, Oreo O's, the greatest cereal ever. And it's like, eh, you just have a really good memory eating Oreo O's. That doesn't mean that they were the greatest cereal ever. So, it's just that that's my thing with the Sandlot. I think it is perfectly fine that people love it. But when you start talking about it as the greatest baseball movie of all time or the greatest sports movie of all time, I'm like, okay, let's Let's scale it back a little bit. That is no disrespect to Chris. If Chris loves this as his favorite baseball movie of all time, I respect Chris's opinion on movies and music, especially music. And I'm sure he's got a great reason for it. And if he has a deep personal connection with the Sandlot, good for him. That's awesome. We can we can disagree on that, but it just I think it's because I saw it as an adult uh, yeah. or a young adult that I didn't connect with it. Well, no, and I, I agree with you. Like, I think the nostalgia is huge. It's a huge factor. It's like when we get to the next, you know, five or six, I could, these are some movies I could watch pretty much any time. Like these ones down below, 
there's a lot of nostalgia there. Um, the Sandlot, one of them. Sure. There was, it was actually funny. Rookie of the Year, Little Bigly, we talked about. I actually got in the debate yeah. on Twitter today about those two movies, and it came <laughs> and, and it, it actually came down to nostalgia. Like one guy said, um, he thought Rookie of the Year was horrible, and he watched it when he was older. I said, I get it. If I watched Rookie of the Year or Little Big League when I was older, I'd probably be this movie's really not that good. Like I totally understand it. Totally it's just one of those fine. things. Yeah, one of those things when you watch it, it's stuck in your craw. Uh, if you want to like Sandlot as, a, as one of the better baseball movies, no problem. If you want to get into the better sports movies, we're going to have to have a conversation. Like yeah. <laughs> that's just and, that's and, tricky. And that and that happens. That that totally happens, and that's okay. That's the beauty yes. of art. It's like my my feelings about Small Soldiers. Small Soldiers is not a good movie, but for some stupid reason, as a child, I latched onto Small Soldiers mm-hmm. so hard. And I had all the toys. I had a a novelization of the film for some dumb reason. <laughs> I don't know. But as like a a eight, nine, ten year old, however old I was mm-hmm. when Small Soldiers came out, I really latched onto Small Soldiers. It is not that good of a movie, but for some reason I loved it. Yep. So it, it it happens, and that's totally totally okay. Also, totally just side note on the Sandlot, not really a problem, but. I mentioned this in the last time we talked about Sandlot, but one of the things that kind of slightly bothered me when I was watching it is like this movie takes place in California in 1962 and all these kids are obsessed with Babe Ruth a year after Roger Maris broke the home run record. That's valid. Very valid. Come on. Like really the Dodgers are in California. Like it's not that long after they came to LA. You got a whole group of kids who are like, yeah, but Babe Ruth, like, I I don't know. Yeah. You got the Dodgers in LA, then Giants just came to California, also Willie Mays, like their rivalries there. There's there's probably a lot of angles you could go with for sure. Yeah. (laughs) No doubt about that. Babe Ruth, like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) I'm with you there. Um, I'm going to say my sixth real quick. So we talked about last episode and Eight Men Out, which I absolutely love. Like, I'm a big fan of the historical aspect of it. Good movie. And we we both really liked it and we kind of agree that they just need to develop it a little more. And it would have been much, much better. Yeah. So but eight fantastic men out, cast and good movie. Yes, amazing cast. So eight men out's my sixth, but I want to hit say that first because the last movie we're going to talk about tonight, and I cannot wait because I agree with every time you say it, that the beauty of art is we all can have our own opinion. We're going to talk about this movie again next week, but um, I want to know why or what made Major League your sixth movie. I love Major League. It's so much fun and. Uh, it's it's so funny and just so well done. Um, it is so easy to watch. Like it is it is a movie you can just it. it some movies you feel their runtime. You do not feel the runtime of Major League. It just blows by. It's it's well paced. It's fun. Every similar to what I said about Bad News Bears. This is an ensemble movie with a bunch of characters and the movie takes the time to make you care about every single character. It establishes every character and you care about them. You know who Ricky Vaughn is. You know his story. You know who Pedro Serrano is. You know his story. Tom Berenger's character. You you know uh, all of them and you care about them. And that is a sign of very good writing because like I said, a lot of times, um, group ensemble characters can just be just vehicles for a plot to happen. So that is one of the things I love about Major League. But one of the things I love the most about Major League, outside of quick tangent, Bob Uecker, 
is incredible. Uh, amazing. Yes. Absolutely amazing. For a Just guy that's not joy. on the field, steals the show. <laughs> Just an absolute joy. I, yep. Bob Uecker is such a delight. He is such a treasure. And mm-hmm. he makes Major League Two so much more bearable. <laughs> yeah, but I was about to say he makes it watchable. Yes, he definitely oh, yeah. does. Because Bob Euchre is just a gift. But yep. aside from that, probably the thing I really, really appreciate the most about Major League is the final game in Major mm-hmm. League. The way they, they film do it, it so well. So they well. Do it so well. A lot of baseball movies, a lot of sports movies can rush a major climactic game. Understandably. From from a filmmaking perspective, your audience has been waiting and waiting and waiting for 80 minutes, 70 minutes for this payoff, and you want to give it to them. And I can understand the temptation of wanting to give them the payoff quickly. They're sitting there like, yeah, it's been an hour and 20 minutes. Come on. You know, I want to feel happy about this team winning or something. But Major League does not do that. They They know, the movie knows what makes baseball great. And what makes baseball great is the suspense. There is so much suspense in baseball. One of my one of my favorite quotes about and when I explain when I try to explain to people why I love baseball, I always reference this quote from Earl Weaver, where he said, "The and I'm paraphrasing. The beauty of baseball is that you cannot run out the clock. You can't be up by a certain amount of points and make it impossible for the other team to come back. You can't just you know sit on the ball and let the clock run down and that's it." You have to give the other team a shot, and no matter what. And this this movie understands that. This movie understands that there's so much suspense in baseball, and it drags out in a good way, not not in a painful way. It drags out the major climactic game, and it it drags out as a is a poor phrase. It takes its time. It's yes. deliberate. And because it does that, the payoff is so great. Yep. It is so worth it. It is so hard not to feel a little emotional and just be so happy at the end of the film because of the way they pace it. It is, I firmly believe it is because they pace it so well. You spend a large amount of this movie becoming very invested in all of these characters and then to see the payoff and to see the payoff paced well is is just it's so good it's so wonderful all the performances are awesome it, the cast I, I genuinely do not know that the cast could be better no i don't think it, i think I, they, it just, they did it perfectly they they casted it perfectly dennis haysbert as pedro serrano mm-hmm. is amazing charlie sheen as ricky vaughn is Perfect. amazing absolutely he aged with that one really well if you think about it oh, yeah, yeah <laughs> the california penal league till now <laughs> real well right exactly wesley snipes yes william Mays like, oh my gosh wesley snipes is so good he's well, so it J- just james gammon as lou brown i couldn't picture a different yeah. lou brown after they did that exactly oh my gosh right exactly and it just you really feel even when when you watch major league two you really feel the absence of Wesley Snipes there. Yes. Like, yes, yes. credit to Omar Epps. I think Omar Epps is a very good actor, yep. and he does his best Wesley Snipes doing Willie Mays Hayes impression. But you really feel the absence there, and, and Wesley Snipes <laughs> was really, really good he in was Major League. in Major League. It, it so was good. so good. Also, there's a fun little um, 
Neil Flynn, who played the janitor in Scrubs, he pops mm-hmm. up at the end as a longshoreman, which is kind of fun to see. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I I I love Major League. I am sad that Major League Two exists, and even sadder that Major League Three exists. <laughs> well. Uh, We'll talk about Major League Three, I think, maybe down the line because you guys have an article at Pitcher List. And yes. um, I, I will give my two cents on Major League next week. I'll save my deeper dive in it since it's up in mine. But the, the thing I wanted to mention that I think when you said Major League Two, as much as we loved things about Major League One, the storytelling and all these things, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like Major League Two, it, they try to shove, you know, the, the Charlie, they try to. The thing we liked about Major League One is all the different characters. Major League Two, they tried to narrow it down to like Sheen and West, well, Omar Epps. Um, right. And and then it's almost like the good part about the movie now is Bob Uecker still gold in it. Oh, and yeah. Absolutely. All, and and, and they, they make the fans that are, you know, the guy that changed his loyalty. That's almost a bigger story than the actual that was, movie. That itself. was, uh, um, what's his name? Randy Quaid. Yes, Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid. Yeah, I so know that it, was. It feels like that's more of the show, and it's just like, oh come on, it's guys! Also, it's also a total carbon copy of Major League. Yes, like they even bring back the same villain. I think they, they had look, the same. I think they had the same music in the final game, but da, dun, da, dun, probably. It's like I can picture it in my head. I think it's the yeah, same. The everything. only difference with Major League Two is one, it was filmed in Camden Yards, which is actually kind of cool. Like for yeah. me, as an Orioles fan, it was kind of neat to see like, oh, cool, Camden Yards. Like, look at that. That's That was really cool. But the the only difference between Major League and Major League 2 is they have this super racist Asian character. Yeah, I don't know where. Let's bring this – that and let's bring the Oki catcher that can only read Playboy <laughs> to throw to the pitcher. Like, right. Because, right. because you like, know, redneck Okies are so dumb they can't figure no, it out. Nobody ever thought <laughs> to tell that catcher like, hey, maybe catcher's not your position. Yeah, <laughs> like they're in the American League. He could DH. Like, <laughs> so this true. is the Indians. They're in the American League. The, the DH is an option, like, and it's not and like he was a great offensive talent. So I'm pretty. I'm not sure why they're rushing this prospect. To the I picks. don't know. I don't know. It was <laughs> just yeah. Major League Two wasn't great. I haven't seen Major League Three, but yes, uh, our own Dave Fisher uh, wrote an article. Look, he's been looking at the worst baseball movies of all time. And he takes a look at Major League Three, Back to the Miners, uh, which features the ever talented Scott Bakula. Yes, and... <laughs> always dreamy hair, ever talented. Oh yeah, and and the hair is dreamy in Back to the Miners. I, yes. I've seen bits of it, but I've never seen the. He full looks movie. okay. Okay, you talk about you know we talk about how the the casting was so great, Aitman out so great in, in Major League. They they looked like ball players. Scott Bakula, when he puts a jersey on, does not look like a ball player <laughs> no. at all. There's there's a scene, and I only know this from reading Dave's article because I I actually haven't seen the movie. But there's a scene where like there's an emphasis on his hair is real. <laughs> <laughs> That's been like, so long. Okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Once we finish, however many more episodes we have of this list, because we might slow it down with those last five. I think we need to have your your, your writer at Pitcher List. What was his name again? Sorry, Dave. Dave, Dave Fisher. Dave, Dave Fisher. You need to watch it, and we might have to have a Major League Three just God, episode to just clown me, on it. Make me watch Major League Back to the Minors, and I'm gonna hate it. Uh, I, you it know, I so hate like, fun. oh my gosh, yeah, I should do it. I just, ah, uh, I hate going into a movie knowing, knowing that it's gonna be bad. <laughs> yeah, 
Like, no, I don't know. I don't know what's worse. Going into a movie knowing it's going to be bad or going into a movie thinking it's going to be good and realizing it's bad. Like, I just I think, recently I watched... I think thinking um, it's going to be good and, and it turns out to be bad is worse. I think you're right. I, I recently watched... Uh, I've been... Since I've been quarantined at home, I'm trying to go through the IMDb Top 250. I, I've got about roughly 70 movies left. Uh, I'm not going to oh, finish man. it in, my quarant- in quarantine time, but... I also have just been going through my own watch list and I had Howard Hughes's um, The Outlaw on my watch list, which is a Billy the Kid Western movie. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, cool. This sounds cool. And it was bad. Like, it was not very good. And that was really disappointing. Like, I'm sitting there like an hour into this movie going, okay, when's this going to end? Like, I am. I do not like this. So I think you're right. I think thinking a movie will be good and finding out it's bad is worse. Cause I went into major league two going, this is not going to be good. Like I, I had hoped it would be okay. And it was actually bad, but I did not go into major league two thinking this is going to be as good as major league. So maybe it back really, to the minors won't be that hard to watch. Honestly, I can't wait till you watch it actually. Cause I can listen to an argument where it's at least better than major league two. Really? Oh my! Okay. I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna completely say it is, but I huh. wouldn't be. I wouldn't be opposed to someone fighting that argument. Let's put it that way. I mean, at least Bob Uecker is still in Major League Three. Yeah, and at least it's a it's more of a different cast because once Charlie Sheen went, you know, class like all these different guys changed the things we loved about them. It kind of took the luster out of the film. Interesting. Yeah. No, we'll have to. All right. So what we'll have to do is I'll have to watch Back to the Miners. I Don't do it yet. Don't do it yet. Wait. Let's I won't do it yet. Yeah. I won't do it yet. And if I when I do, I'll write down my. I I always write down everything. Every movie I watch, I write a review of it because I will forget what I thought about the yeah. movie later. But oh man, Back to the Miners is not streaming anywhere. I'll have to find it somewhere else. Um, man, Corbin Burnson's in it again as Roger Dorn. I think he's the owner he of the franchise. And Dennis Haysbert's back as Pedro Serrano. My God. That poor oh, guy. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's... yeah. Walton Goggins is in it. Yes. Oh, he's actually, God. he's actually, it's one of his early, uh, earlier films. Let's put it that way. Oh, man. Baby Billy. Uh, yeah, Baby Billy. Watch... <laughs> oh, oh, do you such... watch The Righteous Gemstones? I love, I the, Righteous love the Righteous Gemstones. I, it's, I it's love absolutely. I love, I Danny, love McBride. Danny McBride. I love yes. Danny McBride. Too. Thank <laughs> you. Yes. Anything, so he, anything he is in, I will watch because a, I have a big sense of humor, and b, like I can, be, I can do the dirty, the non-dirty. I can size have a sense of humor, and I think he's just brilliant. He's absolutely he's brilliant. So what he does. He's so good. Did you ever? Did you see this is the end? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, the oh. came out a couple years ago. Uh, yeah, it was it was a few years back, but yeah, the apocalypse movie with all the celebrities starring. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was oh, with um with Seth Rogen stuff. Yeah, he had the- Seth Rogen. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Danny I McBride is so so he's so hilarious. Good yes. He is brilliant in that. But yeah, yeah, I'll have to watch Back to the Miners, and we'll have to have Dave on. And God, it's got a twenty one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you, I think it'll be a fun discussion just to kind yeah, of yeah, probably really... will be. And then I'll get Dave said he promises he's going to do an article on Trouble with the Curve, which I see. Hate. I've never seen that. I've never seen oh it. God, so I'll watch so, that. There's so, the deal. So bad. There's the deal. You watch the Miners. I'll watch Trouble with the Curve. And we'll we'll do a whole movie ranting about how much we hate him. Actually, wow. You, you know what? Movies. You know what? You might be right. Major League Two has a five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. And I was just pulling that off the top and, of my head, like thinking wow. about it. Back I to the I, Miners yeah. has a like a fifty some percent. So you 
might be absolutely rough. 21%. I'm sorry. 21% for back to the minors, five for major league two. So you might be right. Oh, this is going <laughs> to be fun. This is going to be great. Oh, but uh, any final thoughts on our six through 10 before we just go down a deep rabbit hole here? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm curious though. So one of the, uh, I, of all the comments I got, there were a lot of comments I got where they were saying, I can't believe you did not include for the love of the game. Do you have, the, have for it. the love nope. of the game in nope. your top five? Nope. Okay. Well then it's not a baseball to... movie to me. <laughs> like you the baseball what? parts cool and all, but it's a gigantic love story. It is right. And it is mm-hmm. so long. Yes. That is way too to long. Say, way too long. I, I don't have a problem with, uh, long movies. No, not if they're done like, well. Not if they're done well. Like I, one of my favorite movies of all time is Once Upon a Time in America, and it's almost four hours long. It's got an intermission in it. Yeah. If a if a long movie is done well, that's fine. But for the love of the games, what two and a half hours? If I'm having to check my phone to know what time it is because yes. I'm wondering when this movie's over, that's bad. Yes, absolutely. I will say this, the baseball parts, I just want to address for the love of the game for all the people who are like, yes. I can't believe you don't have for the love of the game. Actually, two movies, and I'll, and I'll be brief about them. For all the people who are like, I can't believe you don't have for the love of the game in your list. I like the baseball parts for the love of the yeah, game. Billy Chapel, really he, he can fling it. Absolutely. I, I, I love baseball movies in general. And I love the baseball parts of this, but I found myself so often saying, God, just stop it with the boring romance and get back to the baseball. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I I love, as we'll explore in the next episode, I love a baseball movie that um, explores life outside of baseball, like Bull Durham. Bull Durham. I, I they love do it. They do it when they don't like go so deep in it that it just consumes you. Right. Well, I mean, the romance in For the Love of the Game is about as compelling as a Lifetime movie. Like that's true. It, it really is. It and really you already is. know what's going to happen. You already know what's going to happen. Like it's too it, obvious. It, part, part of the problem is Kelly Preston. Yeah. Like she just does her best discount Meg Ryan in this movie. This, that's and, so good. That's like, so good. It's so bad. There's a scene. There's a scene in the hospital where she yells at, I don't remember. It was the doctor. She goes, is this not America? Like, she, <laughs> like I'm just like, what are you doing? Like it, I don't know. Kevin Costner does fine, and and I, you know, honestly, if there's one thing to love about for the love of the game, John C. Riley is. Great. I was about to say John C. Riley as a catcher, I'd never John, thought in a million I, years. I wanted to be known that John C. Riley is one of the greatest character actors who has ever mm-hmm. lived. I truly, truly believe that he gets roped in with all of the the goofy Will Ferrell stuff he does and the comedies, and he's yep. great at that. But he is a phenomenal character actor absolutely phenomenal character actor and he plays the best friend catcher so well like i want him to be my best friend in that movie he does Mm -hmm. it so so well and also vin scully is incredible in this movie yes vin scully is a treasure just like bob uecker is a treasure vin scully is an absolute treasure and he is far and away the best part of the movie the baseball parts of this movie are so good but the rest of the movie is just the romance part is so dragged out and generic and just uninteresting. Yep. But the last movie I want to briefly address because I got a lot of comments about it and people were like, why 
didn't you have this is 42. I, I, I almost had that, but I, I don't have that either. Yeah. So 42. And I, I'd be curious what you think about it. So have you ever seen the Jackie Robinson story, the movie, the Jackie Robinson story much better than 42. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll be honest. I liked 42. Better yeah. than the Jackie Robinson story, the Jackie Robinson story, Jackie Robinson is in it and he is just, He's just not a very good actor. I mean, he's a baseball player and he just doesn't do a great job. But it's kind of cool to see Jackie Robinson like in a movie. It's kind of cool to see. Similar to it's kind of cool to see Babe Ruth in um, uh, Pride of the Yankees. Mm -hmm. But in 42, for all the people who who wanted to know why I don't have 42 in my top 15, it feels like a heavily Hollywoodized version of Jackie Robinson's story like the the tones the 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 movie's perspective on racism was so heavy-handed that I'm genuinely surprised there was not a scene where like Pee Wee Reese walked up to Jackie Robinson and said you are a black man I am a white man but we are not different and people who think we are different are bad people like it was just it was just hitting you over the head. Like it, it's a good story, and you know, credit to the actors who the performances are good. All all around, Chadwick Boseman is very good. Harrison Ford does does well as Branch Rickey, but it just the writing feels very just. I don't know. It feels very like the best thing I can think of like The Blind Side. Like it very it feels like a Hollywood movie and. Yeah. I think Jackie Robinson's story was a bit more complicated and and a bit more difficult than Big that. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, they 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 portray the difficult the difficulty that Robinson went through a bit in Forty Two, obviously, but it was a bit. I don't know. Robinson's story was a bit dirtier and a bit more complicated than what Forty Two shows. It just feels like it was. It feels like it, they took Jackie Robinson's story and filtered it through Hollywood. And yeah, they, need, they, made they needed Billy of, Crystal to do it like he did in '61. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they that would have been a, perfect. A genuine look at Jackie Robinson would have been really cool. And, and having Chadwick Boseman play Jackie Robinson would have been great. I mean, Chadwick yeah. Boseman was very good. Yep. The, the performances were not a problem. It's just the writing was not great, and it just. It felt like it hammered you over the head. Like racism is they, bad. They left, like yeah, they need to focus on the right. baseball aspect of it a little more. Would have been good. Yeah, just like a, I don't know a balance. It just a yeah. little more subtlety. Honestly, is what I wanted. It just felt like a, a Hollywood movie. But anyways, for all the people who asked me about for the love of the game in forty two, that's why they are not in my top fifteen. They are not far outside of my top fifteen. Mm-hmm. I don't hate them by any stretch, but that's why they're not there. So yeah, I'm with you. I have them close. I was actually. You know, that one, um, those ones you could like, Cobb is kind of interesting. The Scout, like, I have a couple uh, just <laughs> outside. Oh, um, Bang the Drum Slowly. Yep. I had that at number bad. 16, actually. And um, I, I like Bang the Drum Slowly, but uh, again, some, some issues with the writing. They kind of, they kind of jump. There's just like this weird message of like, you know, if you're, a uh, mentally handicapped friend is dying, then you should be nice to him. <laughs> like, don't don't bully people unless they're dying. And there's like, oh, that, that felt a little weird. But also, like, talking about ba- uh, baseball movies that 
Nobody complained this is not in my top 15, and I wondered why. Basketball? Have you seen basketball? I, I enjoy basketball. Like, I, I wouldn't put it on my I, baseball list. I wouldn't what? I wouldn't necessarily put it in my it's not in my top fifteen, but like no, basketball's no, fun. It, that's what I'm saying. If you just want to like turn your brain off for like an hour and a half and laugh a little, right. I think there's no, nothing wrong with it at all. It's it's Trey Parker and Matt Stone, directed South by Park David guys. Zucker, who did, you know, Airplane and mm-hmm. Top Secret and all the and Naked Gun and all those movies. So like just David Zucker directing Trey Stone, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone writing in the late nineties, you know, this is going to be a just banally stupid movie. Yeah, Like literally like none of it's supposed to make sense. Like none of it. Yeah. And it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't. And it's stupid, but it's fun. There's a lot of it. That I enjoyed it. Like superly yeah. aged well, but there's a lot of David Zucker style here that I love. And um, probably my favorite thing, my favorite thing that David Zucker does the in in his 80s movies david zucker jim abrams as well um all those zucker abrams zucker movies they make stupid crazy funny things happen in the background of serious scenes and i love that and and the other thing they do is they make very serious people do very stupid things they're very good at that like you mentioned naked guns and airplanes and stuff like they're perfect for that well the thing the thing about airplane was Every single actor in Airplane was a dramatic actor at the yep. time. And like Leslie comedy. Nielsen was a serious <laughs> dramatic actor. Peter Graves, I mean Kareem Abdul-Jabbar wasn't really an actor, but none of the, none of those people in that movie were comedians. Yep. And they are all playing their roles very dramatically and very seriously, but they're saying just the dumbest stuff. Yep. And David Zucker does that in Basketball with Al Michaels and Bob Costas, who are yes. just so like who, like whoever thought you would hear Bob Costas at some point say, "Feel these nipples." Like, yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's it's just so, I just, it's so it's funny so you met you so funny you mentioned it because it was actually on TV the other day, and I was like just kind of doing some like uh, writing on, on my computer, so I just put it on in the background. I just kept catching myself like not paying attention to my computer and watching it, going, "This is pretty funny. Like, this is good. <laughs> this is so it's so, this will work. <laughs> it's so stupid." But yep. I, on some I level, like stupid I, humor. I love stupid. I, I love stupid. Yeah, yeah. I like like part of the thing about entertainment, TV, movies. A lot of it sometimes it's just get a release from reality. It's like turn your brain off, and yeah. relax for a bit, and that's like that's why I'm a very sarcastic person. That's why I like a lot of comedies. Um, I like dramatic movies. Don't get me wrong, but. If I can watch a comedy, I'll watch a comedy over a drama any day of the week. You know, like I, you know it's I interesting. It, laugh. It's interesting you say so. I, I firmly believe I, that our, my generation and I don't know, are we different generations? What year were you born? I was born in 83. Okay. So, yeah, you're, you're Gen X then, I believe. And I'm a millennial because I was born in 90. Yep. So, um, but I think I think our our generations really accepted stupid humor. Yes, in a way that previous generations didn't. Like you look at stand up comedy of the seventies mm-hmm. and and early and eighties, a lot of the eighties. But it, it wasn't stupid. And then you get like the the thing I think of is like Conan O'Brien. Like Conan O'Brien is so good at being so stupid. <laughs> well, just think of it real simple. Just think, look at one of the, okay, I'm the best actors, but let's look at one of the most successful actors in our time, Adam Sandler. 
Oh, and look for at sure, the movies yeah. he's made. Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore. He's got on the oh, list. So They're stupid. dumber than dumb. Uh, Will Ferrell. Yes. Will Ferrell movies. I love Will Ferrell movies. They are so stupid. Yes, they're dumb. <laughs> like, they're I, I, I saw Step Brothers just a few weeks ago, and I was just like, this is the dumbest movie, and I love it. Yes. Like, it just, Did we I just become like... best friends? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so dumb. Yeah. But I feel like we really like just leaned into stupid humor and it's just the it's the most fun thing i love it it's so funny it feels like it's a generational thing like our yes. like the millennials and gen x we just kind of like love stupidity because <laughs> it just well, take it to I the absurd a, yeah like a good laugh i think so therapeutic like if you can just laugh about something oh God, it's yeah. because there's so much well a right now especially so much bad in the world and just everything's taken so seriously sometimes. Yeah. Man, a good laugh just goes so far. So well, far. and that that's why I love that's why I loved Conan O'Brien so much. Mm-hmm. That's why I loved watching Late Night because yep. it was just so different. It was so different from from Jay Leno, who was right before it. I used to mm-hmm. watch Leno, I would watch a Tonight Show, and Leno felt like, you know, my parents' comedian. Mm-hmm. Like the guy who was funny to my my dad. Yeah, you know, the dad stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was it was mm-hmm. very standard, you know. Hey, did you hear about this? Like that that yep. kind of very standard comedy, which is fine. But Conan for me felt like like that was my comedy. Like Conan did yeah. the dumbest stuff. And it was so funny to me. You know, in the he would do that, he would do this bit on late night where in like 2004, he would be doing this thing called In the Year 2000. And it would be a look into the future, like just stupid stuff that was just so funny. And I and it really feels like I remember my dad watching stuff like Conan. And he'd be like, "This is really dumb. Like, what is so funny?" And I'm like, "I don't know. Yes. It's just that's why it's funny. It's so stupid. Like that's yep. what's funny." I'm 100 like agree with you. Thing. It's got to be, and that's it's it's kind of we've been going full circle on that between the movies and these other things. It's just uh, generational. When you grow up and what you experience, uh, it goes a long ways with nostalgia and then just oh yeah, what what you enjoy and it's uh, the the humor part of things is great and that's why I think I think that's another reason why Major League Three. I don't know I just took this full circle on us here, but Major League Three it's a little more <laughs> laughable than Major League Two. Let's put it that way because at least okay, it's, it's, it... it's like poor minor league people that you can kind of be like oh gosh, like really it's kind of you something along now, those lines. Now that you say that, I could see that because Major League Two felt like it was like they all trying. made money now they're all famous they're all like trying to yeah. do something they weren't well it, major league two felt like it was trying like yes. it, almost like it was trying too hard yep it was it was trying to be like it was trying to capitalize on major league yep so i could see back to the minors being like eh, screw it like, you know like what yep. you know who knows well we'll just toss something out there and maybe it'll be stupid i could see yep. that whereas major league two was like Oh yeah, we'll do major league again and just kind of make money. So yeah, I could see that. I'll have to watch it. I'll have to watch it. We'll have to have Dave on and we'll have to all talk about it. Maybe maybe I'll love it. Who knows? <laughs> yes, we will definitely do that. That's on the list because I have a feeling we'll be uh, without baseball for a little while. So we're gonna talk movies. Oh my god, I know it sucks. It sucks. I hate like I like I tell people on Twitter when I post things. I'm trying to stay optimistic. And I even started posting if you have a negative comment directed elsewhere because I just I'm trying to stay positive here. Like I, Dude, how I are you, how are you how are you writing fantasy content right now? Like, not 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 like an accusatory way, but like no no. It's uh, I know what you're saying. What, what do you what do? I'm, what I'm doing for the most part is in my head I'm planning for like say a hundred games for now. 
Like yeah. I think I'm being realistic. Mid June, early July. I'm like early July at the earliest. Things we're getting. Like I, that guy's just in a perfect world. Yeah. That's what's happening. And if that's the case, I'm thinking 100 games, unless they do something crazy. So yeah, in my head, I'm going that route. And for the most part, things I'm writing is more still like ADP biases, like this, yeah. like more like yeah. debates and things along those lines or later round targets. I'm trying not to get too much into projections and stuff like that. Yeah, that's that same here. Like I was, uh, I just wrote today actually, um, and it'll probably come out in a few days. A sleepers article I did. Um, yeah, I, I've been honestly, doing a couple a, of those. Yeah, yeah, I took a break from. Uh, I the last article I wrote was probably three weeks ago, mm-hmm. if not more, because once MLB made that announcement, I was kind of like, "What do I do?" Like, yeah, it's <laughs> you know, tough, man. It's tough. It was partly that, and partly I my day job is as a healthcare reporter, so. Yep. This this virus has been just very making me very busy. But I just kind of like I was like, I don't know. What am I going to write about? Like, I'm going to write about like, hey, you know, prepare for your drafts, which are happening. Yep. Who knows when? So yeah, I finally tough. got back into it. And yeah, it's it's I don't know. It's 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 sort of discouraging. It's a bummer. But but we will have baseball. It will happen at the very. We're going to get something. I really do think something. unless unless this thing takes like a horrible turn. We're going to get something one way or another. Like they're going yeah. to put something out there. I'm a believer in that. Just how much is the question. And if it doesn't happen, it's going to be really depressing. But well, there's it, a lot of talk about, you know, doing a lot of double headers during the week, yeah. at least one double header per week. So what what I think the, the idea I think that might work possibly work, but it's going to like, you have to change baseball for the, like literally just turn your brain off and go, okay, we're doing something different this year. It's basically the, um, it's the Cactus League versus the Grapefruit League, and the winner of each league faces hmm. off for the playoffs. Like that way, you can limit travel. Like they're all right in that area. You don't yeah. have to go all over the place. You play in your minor league, your, your spring training facilities, because with no fans, you don't need all the seats. It's still a ballpark. Um, yeah. I, I know it'll be a lot hotter, so that's going to stink <laughs> for the summertime. Like that's a big deal, but I think that's one way to limit the exposure per se. So yeah, I yeah, I don't, I don't know what's gonna happen. It's, uh, it's weird. We were, it was so funny because pitcher list. We were, we were ramping up for the preseason so much, and then oh, like yeah. MLB kind of this whole virus and everything kind of took the rug out from under us, and we we're like, Whoa, what do we do now? So now we're doing like we're reviewing classic games and stuff yep. like that. MLB is doing that too for tomorrow. Yep. Yes, I saw be... that. They have all kinds, all different channels have all kinds of cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, the Emma, the uh the Delman Young double, the, yep. the a- ALDS game 2 for the Orioles. Yeah, man. Well, I I've, I've been loving it. I've been watching they did the the World Baseball Classic. I was watching that the other day. They've been doing like one class like the Burley Perfect Game was on the other day. They've had some other ones. I I, I can watch baseball period. Like you're a baseball there, fan, oh, I'm right, a baseball yeah. fan. So like just put it on and I'm probably going to like a moth to a flame eventually. Is it's there like a so for me as an Orioles fan, the Delman Young double. Every Orioles mm-hmm. fan who hears that is like, yeah, I know what that is and I've seen it a thousand times. Is there is there a single play or like just something in baseball that you've seen like a hundred times because it just fills you with so much joy. Yes, and it, it, people would think it's the World Series that in 2010, which was. Like I, I remember exactly where I was when the last out was made. Like, I is that the one? Is it. that the one where Sandoval catches it and falls on the ground? Uh, no, I believe that was 12 against the Royals. This was against okay. Texas in Texas, 2010. Um, but I think it was a strikeout too with Brian Wilson. Okay. Um, but for me, it was when I was a kid, and people that followed me on Twitter, they know Will Clark's my best, my favorite player. He's my avatar. Um, it's <laughs> the NLCS for Chicago when Clark takes him deep in Wrigley Field. 
I have watched that game so many times. When we talked about scorekeeping last episode in junior high, one of our elective classes of scorekeeping, we actually kept score to that game. We sat in class, watched that game, and kept score. Um, I, I can picture Will Clark, his swing, putting that into the right center field bleachers and Wrigley all, all the time. It's amazing. Will Clark, that's a former Oriole. No, no, he's a former Giant that played for the Orioles. No, he happened to play for the Orioles. He signed a two-year deal yes. with them. And yeah, those those late replaced... years were tough with the Orioles, the Cardinals, his... the Rangers. That was that a was rough his guy. last season. Was it the Orioles or I no? Think no, so, he had one yeah. more year Cardinals, after that. Cardinals, maybe. That's right. He had one more year after that because yeah, he signed a two-year deal with the Orioles and yeah. replaced. He replaced my favorite player. Which is Rafael Palmeiro. I was about to say, yeah, right. That'd be right after Rafael, because then he went Rafael to Texas Palmeiro. after after Baltimore. Oh, yeah, he did, and then he yeah. came back. But oh god, I love Rafael Palmeiro. And he, you want to talk about like it is tough having Rafael Palmeiro as your favorite player. <laughs> yeah, well, it, 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 hey, to be fair, I, I I understand because if it wasn't for Clark, I am a huge Barry Bonds fan, and it's I would imagine, yeah, it's not I, popular. As a, I get as a it. Giants fan, sure, I would imagine. Yeah. It was Dude, so much Palmero. fun to watch one of the best hitters to ever play. But so I get it; I totally understand. <laughs> Palmero was so good. Like there's 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 such a there's a good defense for Palmero though. Honestly, there's a there's a solid defense that Palmero only took steroids in 05 when he got caught. Yeah. Like he he testified before Congress, you know, did the finger point and everything. I did not use steroids, period. Yeah, and when he got which caught. <laughs> well, yeah, well, so he got caught and uh he said, Well, I don't know. The only thing I got was some vitamin shots from Miguel Tejada. And everybody was like, also. <laughs> well, right. Well, but at the time, everyone was like, Tahada, no, he's just making stuff up. And then a few years later, Tahada gets caught with steroids and nobody makes a connection that, hey, maybe Palmero was just an idiot and took a random shot from his teammate. <laughs> I don't know. I have a very, very strong belief that Rafael Palmero should be in the Hall of Fame. Like, I, I think, honestly, I, can go, I have an argument that I think all steroid guys should be. And that oh, should be a steroid. Yeah. should be a steroid but wing because we Palmero, we talked about it last episode. Oh, it's absolutely! Crazy. But 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 Palmero has over five hundred home runs and over three thousand yes. hits. Yeah, I like agree. he I, just one of one of what six seven people now yeah, including A Rod. Yeah, like, pa- Palmero, God, Bonds, Clemens. These guys need to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I know. I love Palmero so much. What a swing, man! Google, he had like, a good one. He had a good look one. Look at YouTube. His swing. It is it's the a good most. One. Beautiful swing you will ever see a human. I'm game. biased. I think Will Clark's is better, but that's just a bias. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, it was so smooth and so sweet, and I was so sad when he went to the Rangers. Anyway, it's something about him. those those lefties. Those lefties had oh, those smooth God. swings. And he was a gold glove first baseman. Yes. Honestly, yes, he, he was. was. He was so good. He was so good. I I love him so much. Anyways, we're getting we're we've gone way way over time. <laughs> that's fine. No, like there's no time limit. I just love that's what I love about this what, Yeah. What I mean, the people who are listening, what are you doing? Like, I mean, you're yeah. at home. You're, yeah. you're, I hope you're at home. <laughs> We're giving you some baseball joy. So uh, enjoy it. Exactly. But, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap it up there and uh, we'll do our top five coming up here in the next few weeks. Uh, don't forget to check out Ben on Twitter at Ben J Palmer. I'm at BD Intric and it's uh, always fun talking a little baseball. So this is Bench Club episode 265, baseball movies. Catch you guys later.